What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Uh, today's guest on the show is Tyler Conroy, and this is a discussion mainly focused on flow states. Um, we do talk a lot about foiling near the end, but the majority of our conversation is about Tyler's experience um, in flow states uh, as he is a big wave surfer, surfs Mavericks uh, consistently, Puerto Escondido, uh, and now has gotten into uh, foiling. And they seem, if you look at them from the outside, very different sports. I mean, uh, big wave surfing, tackling Mavericks, 50, 60 foot waves, insane hold downs, heavy beatings, um, incredible moments of, you know, tapped in full on flow states and then foiling, you're surfing two, three foot waves, but you're flying and the whole mental paradigm is much different because you're controlling another axis. And so it's interesting to talk to Tyler about how um, he's experiencing these states um, that seem so different, but from a mental game standpoint, uh, maybe aren't that different. So uh, I think that you'll enjoy it. And at the end, we get pretty technical on foiling. So if you're a fan of the foiling series that we're doing, um, I think that you'll you'll like the whole show. Um, if you're not a fan of the foiling series, if you're not foiling, maybe you'll just enjoy the beginning part about flow and big wave surfing. And then maybe you'll kind of tune out when we get technical about foiling. So, all right. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Hit me with any questions, comments, feedback of the positive nature. I don't entertain the negative nature. One more quick note before we jump in. I had an audio issue at the beginning of the show. I don't know what happened. Um, hate this computer and I'm using a different mic or something. But anyways, it recorded my voice in a slower time than Tyler. So at the beginning, I had to mix it together in audio. So it sounds like I gained about 400 pounds and have been taking testosterone for the last seven years. Um, but uh, that's only for the first like three minutes of the show. So deal with it and then it'll get better. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a bonus. I don't know. Tyler, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? I'm good, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. I've been a, a fan of yours on Instagram for a while, watching your uh, big wave exploits and now the uh, whole foiling thing. And so I thought that this would be a great conversation to talk about the mental states around these sports we love. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm really excited about Epic. Well, before we dive into that, why don't you take two minutes, five minutes, and kind of give a background of uh, what you do, uh, what you're chasing, and then we can dive into flow, and then and then probably into some some specific technical foiling conversation at the end because that'll be fun too. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not a professional athlete. Um, I am sponsored by a few companies, but um, I spend a lot of my time thinking about uh, the things that put me into flow, and I've kind of like structured my life in a way so that I could go do things um, that I experience that in on a regular basis. And so I think my first experience with flow really was uh, probably when I was 12 or 13. Uh, in 
but that was, I did a lot of it when I was younger. My mom brought us up to the mountains all the time, and we would ski. And I had, I, I really loved it. And um, it was cool listening to Chris Rasman that you had on, and and listening to his experience with flow. And you know, I was never at any kind of level of his, but um, I really enjoyed hiking and skiing backcountry style stuff. I had a really interesting experience when I was, I think I was 14. Uh, my mom took me out of school. It was an El Nino year. It snowed for about 10 days straight. And they got, uh, I don't know, like 13, 14 feet of snow. And so we went up after the school break so that we could ski and there wouldn't be that many people around. And so I hiked Granite Chief, which is this backcountry peak at Squaw Valley. And I got to the top and uh, Shane McConkey was at the top. And I don't know. You know who Shane McConkey is, but he's, yeah, he's one of the greatest skiers of all time, like a, a base jumping legend, and he actually, he died base jumping, he base jumping, and so I got to the top of the peak, and I, I was by myself, I was 14 years old, and he kind of like asked me what I was doing, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, I just, I hadn't skied this peak yet, and I skied like the fingers, and like a couple other spots, you know. And he was like, well, why don't you just hang out with me today? And so I got to ski with, you know, like one of my one of my heroes all day. And I think that he's one of the best people at achieving flow and like kind of pushing the revolution of, of today's modern action sports. And so I, I really loved doing stuff like that. And uh, that's not really how I like to do it today. Like usually like surfing is what I'm passionate about today, but I'm flow in other ways, uh, mountain biking, like I was saying, skiing, I think free diving, and, uh, you know, but the best way that I have been able to find it is big wave surfing and boiling. Yeah, let's, let's dive into that real quick, because the term adrenaline junkie is labeled on folks like you who, you know, like I, I see all your pictures in, in Mavericks, um, people who chase big waves. And it almost gets discounted. But what you just said there about the fact that you're hitting those mental states and foiling, which you're surfing, foiling incredibly small waves, um, really challenges that idea of, of it being an adrenaline sport or, or states that we're chasing. Can you talk about the, the way that you experience both of those, those uh, sports and, and how kind of what I said there uh, how you interpret that, how, you, how it relates to you? Yeah, totally. So, um, I, I didn't know about what flow was. I kind of like knew the feeling of it. And I think the feeling of flow changes depending on the way that you're interacting with it. So like in big wave surfing flow for me is where a lot of my senses are shut off. So I won't remember certain things like, like for example, taste is gone. Sense of self is gone you know um there's all these like senses that i'm not needing to use in order to like basically survive making a drop or a, like a wipeout or something and then something like mountain biking where you're mountain biking for you know a few hours at a time um time changes and it, it feels like it goes faster so i think that flow is relative to the type of activity that you're doing 
you know, like I'm not a, an expert musician or anything like that, but people that talk about being an artist or a musician that experiences flow is that time speeds up and three hours will go by and it'll feel like 10 minutes. Whereas like, I think skydiving and big wave surfing and stuff like that, time kind of uh, slows down. And so you're able to um, manipulate your body and whatever craft you're on in a way to be able to maneuver through things that look impossible, but feel totally possible in the moment. Um, like if I go surf, I, I live right in front of Pleasure Point in Santa Cruz. And if I go surf out there and it's head high, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not in flow. You know, there's no risk. It's kind of a, a soft wave. And, um, like, honestly, I'm not that great of a small wave surfer, so I, I don't really enjoy it that much. Um, but with foiling, you have, there's so much more going on. You have the, the added um, axis of balance and the amount of speed that you are uh, managing, not necessarily creating, but more of managing makes it so that you have to hyper-focus, and I think that that's kind of what what helps you get into the flow state, because the best way to get into a flow state, I, I believe, is that you practice or you do whatever sport it is that you do, and whenever you're performing just above your level of comfort is the best way to get into a flow state. Yeah. So... Like my level of comfort in the surf is pretty high because I've spent a lot of time in the ocean and I've subjected myself to like pretty um, kind of intense ocean uh, conditions. But with foiling, uh, I, I'm newer to it, you know, and, and there's it's so much more difficult that the conditions can be pretty small and you're still having to focus just as hard to be successful. Um, and then, like, as soon as you go from riding a foil in a straight line to pumping out the back to actually maneuvering your foil and doing turns and stuff, then I think the, the flow multiplier is there because you're going so much faster out of your turns. And in order to control it, you can't really be thinking about anything else. Yeah. You touched on a bunch of things right there that are interesting. The uh, When you're comparing kind of uh, like the margins. So, you know, we're working on the margins and pushing the limits. I, uh, I've gotten really into, you know, cart racing. And I find that those are some of the deeper states that I've experienced because hundreds of a second matter. Everything is, you know, to the, to the very edge of the level. And there's really not any risk in it, but the mental game of it is incredibly deep. And I find that foiling is very similar to that, to where the margins on all sides. It's like you've got danger 360 degrees around you and you're threading a needle in a very dynamic environment. And it's the most fun game that I think I've ever played. Now, I haven't gotten into big wave surfing. I, I, I don't know like how that would go. I've surfed all my life um, in some larger days, but never never like what you do. Uh, but but the the working on the margins thing is, is what hits it for me. Like that that's where I get the flow in spades. Um, you mentioned there also pleasure point and that you don't get into flow when you're out there. I, I think that that's a, a common thing. I think that the, the term flow is 
greatly overused and that when people are out in the ocean having fun, that doesn't mean that they're in a flow state. You know, I mean, I experience flow almost as I have a, a mental model, almost like a, um, I don't know what the right way to explain, like a visualization of like when I'm about to drop into flow, I kind of, I kind of see like the arrow being pulled back and then you let it go. And then you just, you kind of experience all of it at the end of the ride, you, you know, like whether that's in karting or whether that's in foiling or surfing, it's like when you're in one of those states, it's kind of like you set everything up and you aim and then you let go and it's kind of out of your control in a way. And it's, it's just like this blur. And then at the end, it's like, oh, that was awesome. Um, do you experience it kind of in that same way or do you have any like visualizations around what it feels like to drop in to, uh, to, to deep flow states? Yeah, I think that, um, for myself, in order to really experience a deep flow state, it starts with before going into that state and kind of the way that I'm feeling. So like the best way, like the, the most flow that I've been in is while I'm serving Mavericks. And it's uh, because I think it's necessary in order to do it is that if you're not in a flow state, you're probably not going to be performing at a high enough level to be able to do it. And so I've had sessions where I'm not able to tap into flow and I fall a lot and I'm kind of, I'm not worried about like what I'm doing so much in my surfing, but there's other distracting factors. And I think that's like the, the preparental cortex. Like if we're not unable to disengage that, which is kind of the way that we are able to interact in society kind of successfully with, um, like reading people's emotions and all of the um, kind of um, nonverbal communication cues and stuff. Like if I don't turn that off, then I'm unable to reach a flow state where I'm processing information fast enough to be able to like really perform at a higher level. And so I've had sessions like that and I get worked and it's not fun. And there's all this self doubt that happens. It's usually because I, paddle out kind of with a bad attitude or because I'm, because I'm really scared, you know, because something bad happened the last time. And, uh, it, it doesn't happen frequently. It used to happen more often, but I'm more practiced now and I, I have a lot more confidence and I think I'm able to tap into the flow a little bit easier. Um, but once I am getting into flow, and that's usually like started by a positive attitude and kind of uh, a belief in that I can do it, you know, then it kind of starts when I see a wave that I, that I want to catch that I'm in the right position for. And as soon as I kind of turn and start paddling, I have a really like differently than flow states that I experienced in other disciplines the way that I process information makes it so that I don't really remember the ride. I kind of just remember kicking out. Wow. Which is really interesting. So I, I kind of like remember paddling, standing up at the top of the wave and then kicking out of the wave. And I, I'll remember bits and pieces of it um, later on. Like if I kind of dig a rail on the way down or I hit a couple chops or a boil or something like that, 
I'll remember looking at the nose of my board and seeing water flying off, and I'll remember that time has slowed down and stuff like that. But as a whole, the ride I don't really remember. And I experienced that also when I have a really bad wipeout. I, I remember the fear at the beginning of it and like being worried that this could be a really bad wipeout or I could be seriously injured or drowned or whatever. Like that's kind of my initial like, uh, and then I'm like, no, you're prepared for this, you're trained for this, you're ready for this. And then I remember coming up and the in-between part, there's little pieces. Like I remember an arm getting ripped a certain way or the way that my leash felt when I, when I started to come up or grabbing onto the pole tab of my vest just in case I needed to pull it. But as a whole, these experiences kind of like don't stay in my memory, which I think is really interesting. I, I think that's super interesting. I, I get snapshots. I get, it looks like, it's almost like a, a photo book, you know, like, a, like, like I, I'll remember exactly everything about a certain moment, but I don't have the whole experience. But there's one moment that's like yeah. imprinted on my brain forever. Like I can go back through my collection of like really good barrels and I'll have like one or two like freeze frame moments of my best barrels. But I don't remember the whole ride. I can't remember how I took off. I can't remember any, any of that stuff. Um, but I have, I have these snapshot moments and i don't know if that's because it's something i thought about immediately afterwards to try to save it or if it's just because that's how how my mind works but um that's super interesting do you so you said there that it's important for you to show up in the right mental state to be able to access uh deeper you know flow experiences do you have some sort of routine or some sort of um like process that you utilize to to enhance that experience um, I wouldn't say that I necessarily have a routine. Like, I kind of have a daily routine that I do. You know, I'm pretty into spirituality and mindfulness and stuff, so there's some reading that I do every morning uh, while I'm making coffee, you know? So, I, like, I have a French press, and so I grind the beans, put in the press, turn the water on, and while the water is on, I kind of, like, read some, like, daily spiritual stuff, kind of stuff to get your positive thoughts going throughout the day. And then if we're going to go through Mavericks, I kind of just feel like I'm going to go through the point or something, you know, and I, I try to belittle the situation as much as possible and make it less of uh, kind of a big deal as possible. Because um, if you're dealing with photographers and video guys and jet skis and boats and there's helicopters flying over and stuff, it's like really easy to kind of have your heart start racing and get caught up and be like, man, this is really crazy. Like, and then you start second guessing yourself. And I think as soon as doubt is put into your mind, then you are going to be unsuccessful. But if you can trust yourself and your training and your past experiences, then you're more likely to enter into a flow state and be able to kind of do it successfully. So what I try to do is I try to go up with, you know, a couple good friends. Uh, it used to be my wife. She hasn't been surfing Mavericks for a few years because of an injury. But I, I pretty much always would go up with her and her brother. And then we have a good friend, uh, his name's Aloe. He's 
quite a bit younger than us. I think he's like 12 years younger than me, but he's like one of my best friends now, and he, he comes up and surfs with us pretty much every time it breaks. So I think having like a tight, close group of friends and like Jamie and Steven talk about it as like group flow, like we kind of on the way up talk about just normal stuff and then kind of encourage each other, usually through like heckling. You know, it's not like we're like, hey, man, you're really great and you're going to do great today. But we kind of just like heckle each other so that we know that like that we're all in it together. You know what I mean? And so I think that is probably like what I do the most to prepare is like my, my daily practice of mindfulness and stuff. And then having that uh, sense of camaraderie and like knowing that people are there and if something were to happen, like they'd have your back. Um, but uh, aside from that, there's not like a whole lot. Gotcha. Um, do you find that most of your best relationships now, friendships, are based around, you said your wife used to surf Mavericks. I mean, do you find that most of your, your closest relationships are based around these states? Mine have shifted that way over the last 10 years for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like, like the, the most important relationship in my life is with my wife. And, uh, you know, she, she was surfing Mavericks years before I was. She kind of, like, brought me out there and kind of showed me where to sit and introduce me to everyone. And um, she took me to Puerto Escondido for the first time. And, you know, we, so we had been dating for six months and then we went to Puerto Escondido and spent a month there. And at the end of that month, I realized that like, this was the coolest woman I'd ever met. And that I wanted this relationship to last forever. And, I I think that it was not only because of her personality, but also because of the, the things that we experienced together on that trip, you know? And uh, I was a novice at that time. Uh, I, I could, like, pretty much barely do a cutback when I was 24. And that was when we first went to Porto. So, like, the first day we got there, it was probably, like, 12 to 15 foot back. And it kind of looked like closeout, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And so she was like, all right, I'll see you later. She paddled out, and I sat on the beach hoping nothing bad happened. So, um, that, like, seeing her be successful and having her take me along and put me into these situations that I wasn't comfortable in uh, allowed me to um, kind of get more comfortable and, and be able to kind of uh, experience flow states little by little and like gradually more frequently. And then besides her, my best friend would have to be her brother, Patrick Shaughnessy. And he's a Maverick surfer. And then, uh, yeah, I mean like that's pretty much my close group of friends. Like I work a lot and I foil a lot and I, I've gotten a lot closer with guys around Santa Cruz of foil that I was never friends with before. Uh, most recently, and I spend more time with them than any of the people I grew up with. So I think that experiencing flow and, and doing the people that do it in the same way that you do, you find a really strong connection with. I, I 100% agree with that on, on all levels. And I'd say that the coolest thing that I've experienced in my life 
is how my relationship with my kids has, I have a son who's 10, about to be 11, and a daughter is 12, going on 13. And my son started surfing with me when he was seven, I guess. And now he's a huge foiler. That's all he wants to do is foil. But sharing that, and then my daughter started snowboarding with us last year, and we spent a lot of days on the mountain. And the way that those relationships changed when we had those common experiences together is is probably the coolest thing. And I'm so grateful for that because it, it like takes... I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's hard to articulate. But the way that it's changed my relationship with my kids, I think, is probably the coolest thing that's happened in my life probably ever. Um, And that's something I think that's, you know, like, even if it stopped now, we have a commonality. We've shared those experiences and the the whole open dialogue between us, everything's changed. Um, My son was early on because he started surfing early on. But my daughter, it was like a huge change in the relationship. Um last year and actually as we're talking right now we're getting the first snow i'm up in connecticut it's the first first snow of the year right now uh oh, nice. so i'm so amped to get back up on the mountain with the kids i mean the you know going through and i think snowboarding is such a cray i talked about this a little bit with chris on the on the show but like such an awesome way to experience flow because you have you know five ten minutes of doing something rad and then 10 minutes of riding a lift up together to enjoy that process over and over and over again through a day. And so as you, you yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that cycle of experience and then kind of uh, like recap. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful way to, uh, to hang out with somebody for a day. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really cool that you get to experience that with your kids. Uh, my, my son is, supposed to be here any day my wife's 40 weeks pregnant so oh man congratulations dude oh thank you yeah uh so hopefully we'll be experiencing flow together you know (laughs) as soon as possible (laughs) yeah it doesn't start right away (laughs) but but it will that's awesome man yeah um let's uh let's talk about like the the social aspect so i had a couple i've been having these conversations offline with lots of folks. And there are a number of folks who are, I use the term flow junkie. I know there's some negative connotation to that, but I feel like flow junkie is a good term to kind of talk about people who have really augmented their lives to live as close to these states as possible. Um, And I I think a lot of people have done it and they don't realize they've done it, which was me up until probably five, seven years ago. And then I realized that there was this guiding hand that kind of like moved me through life which just really was like access to these things, whether it was music, played music and bands for a long time and then, you know, surfing and foiling and snowboard, every, all these things. Um, the, yeah. the, um, a lot of people off the record and, and, and have said that it's harder for them to identify with people who aren't kind of like us. I know that I experienced that. Like I'll be at, you know, a party with, uh, with a lot of people who work nine to five jobs, not that there's anything wrong with that, but they don't do anything on the outside of that. They're not, and it's really difficult for me to, to, to relate to that. Do you experience that too? Um, I don't know. I, I think maybe, um, uh, because of where I live, a lot of people kind of, um, do experience flow on a pretty regular basis. 
I don't think that there's a whole lot of uh, time that I spend with people that don't experience it. Um, so I don't, I guess, I guess, yeah. So I went to school in New York for a few years and during my time there, I had a much harder time relating with people and having like meaningful social connections. And I think a lot of it was that I was living in upstate New York and there was no hills to skateboard down. There were no ways to go surf. The, there's no hills to snowboard on. And so there, there wasn't a whole lot for me to like know how to use my time with um, outside of playing water polo. And so a lot of people there, by virtue of where they lived, weren't spending a lot of time outside and experiencing flow on a regular basis. And the people that were from there, I didn't relate with as well as people that I uh, met through sports that came from other areas like Florida and I grew up kind of doing similar things to what I do. But at home, that's not really an issue because all the circles that I kind of surround myself in are people that are kind of in flow frequently, whether it's my surfing buddies or guys from work that mountain bike, or uh, I have a bunch of friends that are really into punk rock and stuff. And I think that those guys experience flow on, on a similar level, performing Absolutely. and going to shows and stuff like that. So I guess it's kind of hard to say yes or no, because I don't spend a whole lot of time with people that aren't experiencing flow on a regular basis. Um, because there are so many people that like to do that in the community that I live in. Gotcha. And those are kind of just the people that I surround myself with. And they don't have to be pro surfers or athletes or anything like that, but they, they do things outside of work that put them into that kind of state. Yeah. So. Um, on the punk rock front, I played in a band for, for a while and um, live shows is probably some of the deep, deepest experiences I've ever had. I mean, un, unreal. Um, the, yeah. amount of, the amount of energy and how you drop into that, um, that. That was amazing. That was probably what got me really hooked on all this. I, I surfed, I skated and stuff. And then the whole punk rock thing was, it was just like a time warp. It was unbelievable. And then that all kind of ended when I went to college. And when I went, met my wife, I was like, we were on our first date and she asked me to like kind of tell her what I was up to. And I was like, well, I'm kind of probably the youngest has been you'll ever meet. Like I was, I, used to, I was a sponsored surfer and playing this awesome band. And then it all ended, you know, when I went to college and uh, that was tough, man. Those few years were really tough before I got back to the beach or I got to the beach. I never, I didn't grow up at the beach and then surfing took over. Um, I, I relate with that totally. I think the college was probably like some of the, besides middle school, I think middle school was probably the worst. But other than that, I think college was really hard. And maybe it's because like of where it was and the, how far it was from being able to like live in flow states. Yep. Uh, I, I did pick up rugby while I was there. And uh, there were times, there were fleeting, where I felt in flow. It was usually when 
you know, some guy that was 300 pounds was trying to kill me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I couldn't really find it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was in a, a huge debt of that. And I didn't realize until later that that's why I was miserable in college. I absolutely, I mean, uh, outside of meeting my wife, that was the only good thing that happened. And, um, yeah. And then I worked a real job for a couple years after that. And that was, that was even worse. I used to make, this is hilarious, bro. You'll, you'll appreciate this. I used to make my wife drive me to work. And because if I had a car, I would just leave. And I was actually pretty good at what I did and kept getting promoted in this job. But I was so miserable that if I didn't have like probably like a four to six beer hangover every day and made her drive me to work, I would just leave if there was waves or if I could go fishing or if I could do anything fun, I was out. Um, You're out. I was out. And then... Good thing it was before Uber. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, it's classic. Let's... uh. Let's talk about wipeouts in, in Mavericks and how scary, you know, not outside of the flow conversation here, we can start transitioning more towards the surf conversation, but um, I'm just intrigued by what you go through in those wipeouts, you know, um, what's the, what's the heaviest one that you've experienced? Kind of talk us through it. I, well, I think the closest I ever came to drowning was actually at a different spot south of Mavericks. It was during the, the 2010 Mavericks contest. I don't know if you've seen any footage from that, but it, it was pretty much like, uh, like it is a game-changing day. It was the biggest uh, contest had ever been anywhere. Um, and so it was probably like 50 to 60 foot of Mavericks. And it was sheet glass all day. Shane Dorian got that huge barrel in the morning before the contest. Sean Dollar rode the biggest wave that had ever been paddled into until uh, more recently uh, when uh, Aaron Gold caught that wave at uh, Jaws. But so it was, it was pretty much like the craziest swell ever. And so I took this reef kind of closer to Santa Cruz and I got caught inside by the set and I have no idea how long I was underwater, but I... Generally, when I'm going through a really bad wipeout, I, I just have positive self-talk, and I, I just, like, talk to myself about the things that I've done to prepare for that situation, and, um, you know, kind of, there's a couple really positive uh, images that I have from my life that um, make me happy, so I, I think of those, and so I, I did a cycle of that for quite a while, and then that positive thought turned negative eventually and I was like you know what maybe this is it you were, you're in over your head you're unprepared and all this stuff you know and then I came up right before I blacked out and my vision was gone and hazy and I had no idea kind of where I was and stuff and so I got I got pushed all the way to the beach and uh and I was fine and I hadn't started surfing Mavericks at this point. I started surfing Mavericks actually the next swell because it was that wipeout that kind of like showed me that I could probably uh, keep doing it. You know, I was like, oh, wow. it's not, you can't get a whole lot worse than that. Like you almost died. And like mentally I was fine afterwards. You know, I wouldn't surf later that day. So um, I think like positive self-talk is really important. And 
the more familiar I am with getting beat at that kind of level, the less intense it feels, you know, you kind of like start to be a little more comfortable with it. And I think that like you start to get less adrenaline when it happens because adrenaline's a terrible thing to have happen when you're, you know, 30 feet underwater and you have no idea when you're going to be coming back up because it just jacks your heart rate and your blood starts pumping through your body really fast and you burn through oxygen so much faster. So being able to kind of calm down and realize that it's a situation that you've been in a number of times and that you're totally fine is uh, probably more important. And uh, the wipeout that I had that day that I felt like I almost drowned was probably way mellower than most of the wipeouts that I have today. But in relation to how, like, worked I've been before, it was the, the worst. And so I've been so much more work than that now that they, they feel like a lot less. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. What's your longest hold down? Do you have a, an idea? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I, a friend of mine, uh, I guess was, or uh, he won greatest wipeout like two years ago. Did you see that one where the guy is paddling to the wave of Mavericks and the wind gets under his board and he gets caught up in the lip yeah. and he goes over the falls? That's my, my good friend, Will and Banks. And uh, I guess I guess he won. I'm not sure about the win, but he was awarded the greatest wipeout. And uh, so the, the next set after that, I had probably my worst wipeout at Mavericks. And a similar thing happened to me. Like I got the air under my board and, but I was able to keep my board under my feet. The wave wasn't quite as big as the one that Willem got. And I tried to stick the landing and I purled like mid face and I got rolled over. So there's like, there's fingers and now three mountains basically that stick up. So there's the bowl and that's the, the first one. And then there's the inside section that stands up that people get barreled on sometimes, very rarely. That's the second finger. And then there's an inside finger. And so I fell on the drop. I was underwater. And then I got pushed to the inside shelf and then stuck over and down that one. And so Mavericks is interesting because it's the only place where I think uh, wipeouts go vertically instead of horizontally. Like normally, if you fall on a really big wave, kind of you go down and your board uh gets pulled with the white water and you kind of just like feel like you're getting pulled by your board but you know wipe out of mavericks you don't necessarily feel the pull on your board for quite a long time because your elevation changes are so great you could be at the bottom and then at the top again and at the bottom in a second so it's kind of like you're more going up and down than getting dragged it's, it's really interesting because I haven't experienced that anywhere else. Um, but I went over to that second shelf and, you know, it was like a really violent beating and everything. And then I fell over that shelf and everything just got called. And I realized that I was really far down when, wow. when it got called. And uh, at that point, I pulled my vest because uh, that's the best time to pull your vest is when you're at the very bottom because 
usually water is going kind of in a circular motion, you know, so if you're at the bottom, if you inflate, you usually get sucked up. Um, but I got stuck in the water column on my way back up, and then finally I surfaced, and then I had, I'm not sure if it was two or three more waves that broke on my head, and then I got pushed through the rocks, and uh, someone came to get me on a jet ski, and I I couldn't see at all. I had complete whiteout vision, and so they were like, yeah, get on the sled. We were totally safe at this point. We were in the lagoon, and uh, I, I was, like, feeling around to where the sled might be to try to get on it because I couldn't see it. And then I was like, no, I'm good. Don't worry about it because I didn't want to tell him that I couldn't see anything, and that's why I couldn't get on the sled. And then, like, he hit me with the sled, kind of, like, like, gave it a little gas, and it tapped me. And then I got on the sled, and then uh, kind of my vision started coming back as we were driving back out. But it was a pretty long time before I could see anything. So that's probably, like, the most hypoxic I've been. Um, and that was a pretty bad wipeout. Yeah, that sounds that's terrifying. the worst. Yeah. How much has the vest changed big wave surfing? Um, I think probably a lot. Um, uh, I served mass for three seasons before, uh, before there was a vet. At least that was accessible. Because that swell that I was talking about, the 2010 swell, um, the next day is when Shane had that wipeout, Shane Dorian, where he almost drowned at the two-way pull down and it kind of inspired him to create a vest. So it was like probably three seasons until that was kind of accessible. And um, I don't know if it really changed anything for me because I'm still terrified of surfing big waves, but it seems like people have no reservations and go on huge waves and are legitimately not scared. Um, which is interesting because, you know, you talk, you hear a lot of interviews with, like, skydive guys or wingsuit guys and stuff, and they're, they they like to be pretty upfront about still being afraid, but doing it anyways. And I've had conversations with some guys that are just like, yeah, I'm just not afraid at all. And I'm not sure if that's a, because of the vest or just because the way that their brain works. But I think the biggest thing that's changed is that there are more people that shouldn't be surfing big waves that get a vest and think that they can do it because they have a vest. So I think that that's probably the biggest change, which is too bad. That being said, no one has died wearing a vest yet. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like yeah, what you just said there is is, is 100% accurate and that it's going to bring in more people to feel comfortable in those big situations. But there's also like the mental, like of relying on a vest. And if if you're preparing for having that and then for some reason it doesn't work, it seems like that would be a very difficult mental hurdle to overcome deep underwater when you think you've got a safety net and then you don't. Um, in a way, it almost, it seems dangerous in that regard. Oh, Yeah. I've had that happen, you know? So, like, I, I fell on a wave, and the wipeout wasn't that bad, but it was getting dark. So I was like, 
I really don't want to be underwater. It was dark out. There's not a whole lot of people out here anymore. So I pulled my vest, and I had put in a canister that was already used. And I, I put, I basically what happened is I forgot to change out my canisters from the session before. So three of them had been used. So I pulled, because you get four charges, basically. So I, I had to go through three to realize that they were all empty, and then the fourth one uh, worked. But after you pull the first one and it doesn't work, and you kind of, like, expect it to work, then there's a little bit of a sinking feeling that happens. You're like, oh, that's not good. And then you go for the second one, it happens again. And then the third one, my stomach, like, dropped out. And I was like, oh, man, this wipeout's actually worse than I thought it was because I've gone through three poles now and my vest isn't working. And so that's kind of like the, the self-doubt that I was talking about that's really bad for not only maintaining flow but, like, surviving kind of difficult situations. Um, and then I pulled the fourth one and it worked. And so... Uh, I haven't made that mistake again, but uh, it's definitely an interesting mental hurdle to experience. Yeah, I can't, I can't fathom how that would be. That sounds gnarly. Um, all right, man, we're at the 50, 47 minute mark right now. Why don't we jump into foiling? Because I'm sure everybody's going to want to hear about that um, for the next, I don't know, little bit and then, uh, and then wrap up. Does that sound good? Yeah, foiling is the best. Let's do it. It is the best. I'm, I'm inland right now, and I've been inland for about a week, and I'm just playing as much music as I can. I'm crushing saunas and ice baths, trying to stay mentally fit. It's difficult when you're such an addict as I am to foiling. It's so hard to be away. So uh, I've been making these tail wings. It's awesome. But uh, how, how did you get into I know. Foiling? I've been looking at those. Yeah. <laughs> did you see Cliffy from Unifoil talking shit yesterday? <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> I hope I it hope works. It works really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah Cl- cool. Cliffy's a good dude. I actually have a uh, the new 190 coming, and my son has a 150 coming. So it was it was in good fun, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah. Uh, so you and I started out the same way. Like I was completely against foiling at the beginning. I tend to be really bad at seeing these things at, uh, early on until it gets to a, it gets to a certain point. Um, and now it's my favorite thing in the world. And you said you hated it a little bit, hated on it a little bit at the beginning. What changed your mind? So I'm sponsored by F1 and Monera. And okay. originally my sponsorship was for like distance paddling, power racing. And then for Stand up? surfing and paddling. No, 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 prone. Okay. I'm old school slogger. <laughs> but, uh, I don't do it at all anymore because foiling's uh, really fun and there's no reason to paddle anymore. But uh, they they started making foils. And they're like, hey, we want you to try this out and see if you like it. And it, it took it took like a month or so. And they're like, hey, we have one for you. Just go grab it. And like eventually I went and picked it up. And the only board that they had me to try it out on was actually a sup and I don't know how to sup. I've I've supped like three times in my whole life and 
I, I don't know anything about it. So I just took it out prone. And I took it out to Ocean Beach for the first time. And it was overhead. <laughs> and because uh, I, I had no idea at all, anything at all. So what happened was I, I caught inside a bunch and I got pitched over and over and over again. But there was one wave that I caught and I stood up and I reached for a second, touched down and then came up and I flew for, I don't know, two or three seconds. And that's all it took. Like, I wanted to do it forever after that. What did that and, feel like? Uh, that first that first moment, what did, what did that feel like? Why did you want to do it forever after that? I'm not really sure. Um, it was, it's so fast and frictionless. And I think probably because like I, I probably entered into a flow state because I was so afraid of it, and because you, the focus that you need to control foil is like so, um, like it's such a high level concentration that uh, I think I experienced it for one second, and that's all. That's all it took is that I I knew that I could achieve that feeling over and over and over again if I learned how to do this. So I pretty much quit surfing for three or four months and only rode a foil. And, uh, yeah, I think it took me eight or 10 sessions probably to, to get that feeling again. It was really frustrating, but I knew that if I grinded it out that I could get there and, and that was it. I was hooked and totally screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I look at it like the best thing that's ever happened because it opens up the world to these states. I mean, before, you know, I lived in Costa Rica for 11 years and it was, you know, the waves had to be really good in Costa Rica for me to have like a fun day surfing. And that that's a bummer, yeah. you know, like, but, you know, now I'm two foot little beach breaks and I'm just blowing my mind. It's the, it's the best thing ever. What's, what's your favorite part of foiling? Like, what are those moments that that you're most stoked on right now? Um, well, for one, the spots that we foil in Santa Cruz are super uncrowded. And so we, our biggest problem as foilers in my area is kelp. There's kelp everywhere. Huge kelp, old kelp, giant kelp, all the kelp. And so finding a spot where there's a little enough amount of kelp to be able to foil is kind of hard to find. But other than that, they're terrible waves for surfing. <clears throat> and they're usually in, like, very picturesque spots. So I really love going to find waves that are foilable and experiencing that either by myself or with one or two other friends. Like, you're never going to foil with more than, I don't know, four people because there's so few foilers. And because it is because of where you have to go to foil. Gotcha. So I really like that. But as far as like the actual like being up and riding the foil, I think doing like a really good car. <laughs> and so my foil, I, I ride an F one 
one foils, right? But my favorite one is the 1200 okay. with the surf stabilizer, right? The rear wing. Yep. <clears throat> and so it kind of has like a mellow curve all the way through. It kind of looks like the front wing a little bit, but it's upside down and it's in the back. It's much smaller. And so, like the go foils hum a lot, you know? Like if you're pumping, they hum. Yep. But, uh, the F1 foils are totally silent until you start doing a carve, and then the stab starts to whistle just ever so slightly. And that's how you know that you're going really, really fast. And you can only do that in the middle of a carve. So, like, really, to do a really good carve on a foil, I feel like you need to be, like, really far forward. And I, like, kind of have to do, like, a drop knee thing. And so you're doing like this drop knee carve, like a foot above the water, and then you hear that hum sound, and you know that you're just like at the, the pinnacle of the performance of that foil at that moment, kind of. And it's just like, it's so satisfying, and you kind of don't think about anything else, you know? Yeah. How, how good do those turns feel? I, I just, big cutbacks on, on surfboards, shortboards, has always been my favorite thing. And, you just have access to those kind of all the time on a foil. Yeah, I think it's pretty much way better than any kind of car that you do on a surfboard because you're going so much faster. And like uh, you and Chris were talking about doing cars on a surfboard in your podcast, you know, and like the difference between a down car or like a wraparound. Um, and so in order to get enough like to get more speed and projection out of a turn on a surfboard, you need to place your turn exactly in the right spot. Yep. And your speed place would have to be perfect. You can't take the rail. And it, it's really hard to, it has do to a be turn glassy. where you come out. Sorry? As I say, it has to be glassy too. You know? Yeah. All the conditions have to line up. Yeah. And you, you have to pretty much nail it. But you could go on like a one foot wave that's not breaking and feel that same exact feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And you can place it on any part of the wave. Yeah. Do, do you skate? It's Did like, you skate? It's incredible. Yeah, I skated a lot. Uh, I haven't skated in probably nine months. I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get hurt when I skateboard. Oh, know? do you? So I, I've broken so many bones skateboarding and concussions and teeth and, you know, stitches. So oh, I, I try to stay away from skateboard. I just turned 30 and I feel like every time I fall, it's like exponentially worse. You know, concrete doesn't feel great anymore. No. So I, I try to stay away from the, the skateboard. So I just turned 40 and I skate now more than I've ever skated, but I skate a lot of like little mini ramp stuff. Um, mm-hmm. wood ramp. I wear pads now, which is funny, yeah. but necessary. But I, I, like the reason I ask is because I feel like there are so many similarities in foiling to skating. The more I skate, uh, I'm you know back up north right now. We got a little mini ramp at the house, and my son and I have been skating a lot. And it's like connecting turns feel like mini ramp banks to me. You know, like there's a lot yeah. of it's like a moving ramp, and it's such a fun game. Like. Um, and I feel like skating has helped my foiling a good bit. We were just uh, up north for a couple weeks, and I didn't foil for, I guess, like three weeks almost. Went back, 
and I skated almost every day and I was, I was immediately better at foiling when I came back from skating a bunch. And, and that was, uh, maybe it's just the being on your feet a lot or being, I, I do believe that variation and training like different board sports, I, I feel like helps everything. Like if you look at Kyle Lenny and his progression right now through, through shortboarding, it's insane. And I feel like kind of having that database of like board sport feelings and sensitivity in your feet helps everything. But, uh, but there's a lot of similarities between foiling and skating. Yeah, I, I agree. And like bowl skating and, and foiling, I think are very similar yeah. because you can kind of go anywhere that you want and decide what you want to do in any part of the, the wave or the bowl or snake or the ramp, whatever it is that you're skating. And that's not possible on a surfboard because you, you need so much energy in order, like you need the wave to push back at you, but skating and foiling, that's not an issue because speed is available anywhere. Like right. speeding, you can just pump with your foot and then foiling, you can just pump something. So it's kind of like very similar. And I think the boards that were riding foiling are more like skateboards than surfboards. Like the, the board that I ride, I have two, right? I have a 4-2 rocket, like the F1 rocket, and I have a 310 Freedom Foil board. Okay. And so they're both more like skateboards than any of my surfboards. They so don't resemble my surfboards at all. Right. You you ride really small boards. I ride. I tend to ride a 4-6 and a 4-9. Um, and... I've gone smaller. I have a four three, but I tend to be able to like kind of work off the foam more on the longer boards. I kind of I tend to like that a little bit more. Um, do you have any trouble yeah. getting in on your on your smaller boards when it's a little bigger? That's when I really like a little bit more size. Like when I step up to my actually, I have the five zero Rocket F one two, which I, I just rode for a long time, and I, and I like that board. It's a little bit long for what I'd like, but um, yeah. You know, it, I, that's the board that I've been riding when it when it gets bigger. When we had hurricane swell and I was sort of foiling like, you know, eight foot, nine foot face waves, that rocket was awesome to be able to get in in the pocket and get up quick and have enough leverage to hold it down. Um, is the the three ten and the four two been difficult for you, or or not so much to get up in the pocket on bigger waves? No, it's uh, super challenging. Okay. Uh, I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've ever foiled a wave that was. But, uh, uh, that's face, not not like you know Florida hurricane swell, like yeah. six feet at you know fourteen seconds, which equates to like you know a few feet overhead. Yeah, I think like the biggest waves I've foiled are probably head high, maybe a foot overhead. Yeah, and um, I think it is pretty challenging on the smaller board, but I'd rather fall a couple times and be able to have the um, the maneuverability of my 310 or my 42, then like be able to catch the wave a little bit easier. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I thought for a long time. And then I started kind of like hitting whitewater a little bit more. And then the little board, my little 4.3 would get stuck. And the uh, the longer boards will kind of like bounce off a little bit and it helps me out a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I kind of took what's the, what's the leverage that you're riding? So my little board is 27. My 4.6 Vanish is a 27. Um, and okay. then my 4.9 is a 37. Um, and I tend to All ride right. the Vanish when it's like kind of more gutless and small. It's harder for me to get in, you know, because I'm like 190 pounds. 
So it's a little harder on 27 yeah. liters to get in, but, uh, but once you're up, no, it's totally. amazing, you know? Yeah. So like my board, my four two is actually less liters. Yep. So it's a uh, 26 and a half, I think liters. Yep. Um, I'm 175. And so there's, it's, it's 20, that's my smaller board actually. And then my 310 is 33 liters. So there's like plenty of volume. It's right. just that it's, it's just distributed differently. So I think that like that, that board actually pops really good whenever I touch down. And I think that some of it, it has to do with the double barrel concave. Sure. Right. And then the giant rails. And also that it is so short that your feet don't have to change that much in order to have a big um, influence on the way that you're able to maneuver your board. Right. So I had like a five two. The first foil board I had was a five two. And I had to move my feet a lot in order to like through turns and everything in order to maintain uh flying. But on your three ten, because the surface area is so much smaller, you just adjust your foot an inch or two or just pressure on one side of your foot or the other, and it has a huge effect on the maneuverability of your board in that's kind of like has been my experience and anything over like a four, three, I feel like I might, I have a really hard time keeping the nose of the board from touching down when I'm pumping. Hmm, that makes sense. I tend to move my foil a little bit farther forward. Um, mm-hmm. so that I don't have quite as much nose. That's a trend for me is my foil has been moving forward over the last little while, you know, like the whole can yeah. balancing trick. I now ride half an inch to an inch and a half forward of that balance point on, on most of my foils. I find that uh, this is kind of an interesting thing. And I learned it on a standup. I, I do a lot of standup surfing and foiling now and or not as much foiling now or surfing now, but I, but, but I, but I used to do a whole lot of it and I learned to foil on a standup. I still ride a standup foil probably. I don't know, a couple times a month or something. And the weight of a, of the standup, I always thought worked against you until you move the foil forward of that balance point. And then I actually think that it helps you because once the tail of the board is, is working to help you come back up after your pump, like, so like, as you're on your low part of your pump and you're pumping back up, if, if you have the weight back of that balance point, um, it, the board actually comes up quicker. It's almost like that weight is helping you. And once I realized that, right. it was like really cool because all of a sudden I was pumping my stand-ups pretty much as good as I was pumping my little boards with a big enough wing. And then I kind of moved that back, that idea back to the to the smaller foil boards. And it seems to help there too. There's a point where it gets too far forward and then it gets really squirrely right. and it's really difficult to yeah. kind of fly it. Um, but there's there's like a there's like a good point in the middle where where it really helps the pumping. It really lets you kind of like smooth all that out, um, which is kind of cool. It's so much fun how much there is to learn about this still. Oh, totally. And I think that the, the where you're putting your mass totally depends on, of course, what foil you're riding and then what you're going to be riding, actually. Yeah, Because, sure. like, if I'm riding a really big wing, like a 2200, and then going downwind, I put it way farther forward than I would if I'm surfing. So if I'm surf foiling, I have it back quite a bit farther. Yeah. Um, and I think it just, it helps 
for me, because I'm a surfer, like it makes it a little bit more back-footed and you can kind of pivot and you can kind of do like more snap turns. Um, uh, if, if your foot is like more above the foil than behind it, but if I'm going to do downwind foiling, which I've done a bunch of with my friend Nick Whale, um, we like take the boat out and then we, we tow into like downwind wind chops, you know? Oh, that's rad. And so we'll ride huge wings and we push them to the very front of the box in whatever board we're riding. And then you kind of, uh, you kind of just put your feet farther forward. And I think that it just, uh, you have to do a lot less work to maintain your speed. You lose a lot of maneuverability, but when you're riding wind chop, it's more about connecting chops than it is about doing turns. And so it, it totally changes your riding style, but it's the most efficient, I think. And it, it flies the easiest the farther forward your, your wing is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. when you're towing in, it's a little bit easier to be in the right spot to where you're not getting overlifted, like when you're paddling in. If you put a foil too far forward, oh, when you pat, I mean, you just get launched. Um, it was 100%. pretty. One hundred percent. We uh, the other day we were served. It was like I don't know, probably a, a wasted chest high day, and I had been riding the MFC. My my son and I fight over a couple of the wings that that we share, and he he normally rides that MFC now, and I wanted to ride it, so I rode it, and then put it back on his board, and I put it too far forward, and he paddled out. And I have some clips of it. I haven't posted them yet, but literally he's paddling in and just launches full on airs, lands, launches again, lands, and then pops up. You know, he's just like riding a bull for the first couple, you know, by an inch difference. Um, oh, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, he's all mad at me. I had to go back to the house and change his foil. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Wow. Did you get your 1400 from them? No, not yet, man. It's uh, It ships... <laughs> To, it's supposed to be here Tuesday. Yeah, that's cool. And I have a uh, I have a trip back to Costa Rica coming up in a couple of weeks, so I think that wing is going to be magic there. I cannot I cannot wait. Are you going to meet Brian down there? No, I'm going to be down there early. I can uh, I can get down okay. there for uh, kind of like during the the Thanksgiving time frame, but I can't for the nice. for the for the camp, which really bums me out because. Everyone's going to be having so much fun. That's a good plug right there. If anybody's interested in going down to the camp, I think there's still one or maybe two spots left. Send Brian or Chase Foil the World or uh, Foil Surf Camp on Instagram a, a message if you're interested in going down there. A um, couple spots left. So Yeah, it'll be fun going out with Brian. Have you done the straps? No, I have done no straps. Have you? Man, I've I've attempted a couple times, but getting your foot into the back strap is so hard. It looks ridiculously it's hard. So hard. Um, so I've I've like foiled with the front strap. Yeah. But I I don't think it helps that much. I think that the back foot is really the one, especially for doing airs, because you see guys like really pulling up on their back foot. Yep. In order to help, like like with snowboarding, like you can pop off and you just pull your back knee up and you're able to maneuver the board a lot. Yep. But with the front strap, like all the weight is in the back of your foil anyways, right? Because it's right above your foil. So there's no weight under your front foot, so I think it's like not really that helpful. 
Gotcha. Um, no, I haven't. I haven't even been really that excited about doing straps yet. I feel like there's still so much more I can learn in the carving. Like I, right now, my goal is to get pretty much to my same level of shortboarding on a foil to where I'm going off the lip and, and doing like, you know, top turns and rail turns, you know, all of that. And once I get to that point, maybe I'll, um, think about the air game, but I want to be like yeah. really sound on the face of a wave before I start exploring that. Um, I also think that it comes with a lot more risk, man. I think it's so easy to smash your foil when you're doing that stuff. Oh yeah. Or twist the knee or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once you're strapped for sure. For sure. Yeah, straps are sketchy. I I had never uh I have a quick strap story. I had never um showed Mavericks before until we had a really big swell last year. And uh I went out in the morning and me and this other guy were the first people out there and he towed me into the first wave that we saw. It's by far the biggest wave I've ever ridden. And uh he put me into it really deep, but because of because you're towing, I had no idea kind of where I was based on the bowl because we, I always paddle it and it looks so different. So I was going straight because I thought that I was on the shoulder and I was kind of just waiting for it to bowl up. <laughs> and then by the time it hit the bowl, which was like outside of where we normally surf because it was such a big wave, um, I realized that I was like behind the left on it. And so I was at the bottom kind of like in the trough and I saw the thing like Huck, and I realized that I'd never had to get out of straps before. <laughs> so I was at the bottom of the wave, and I was like, "Well, I'm going to get smoked by this thing. It's going to land like on my heels, and I don't know how to get out of my straps." So oh my straps God. can definitely be a hindrance <laughs> for sure. That sounds terrifying. Hey, so let me ask you this: This is something I've always wanted to understand. How terrible is it when you're in the lineup and you get you get a, you know, a, an outside wave breaks in front of you. Like when you, when you get cleaned up at Mavericks. Oh, getting that, on the side. That's, that seems like it's yeah. way scarier than, than a wipeout while surfing to me. Anyways, I, I don't know. Like it, it, that's. Oh like, man, it's so much worse. Yeah. You, you just yeah. like, it's like watching a car wreck. You know what I mean? You know that it's happening and you see it coming. Like at least if you fall, like you're just focused on surfing. But when you're sitting out there, you're kind of like always like, okay, I don't want to get caught inside, this and that. But like, once you see it happen and you just see the thing flex and hit the bowl and you realize that it's going to land on your head, it's just the worst feeling ever. You're just, just all positive energy just feels like it just leaves your fingertips and your toes and it drops out of your stomach. And, uh, and then it's over, and you realize that it's fine, and then uh, you're you're a little more confident for the rest of the day. What, the worst part already happened. What's the strategy there? Just go as deep as you can, or just kind of like take a deep breath and and just hold it. I mean, what do you do? Uh, it depends on if it has broken or not. Um, it, it's actually surprising some of the waves that you can get through. Like I've been at the bottom of a wave and swam, uh, like swam through the bottom and made it out the back on a number like a number of occasions um, on a wave where the lip has already landed or on a wave where you're swimming through the face you're swimming through the face and it yeah. lands like you know a couple feet behind you 
Right. And you're just swimming through the, the bottom of it. Um, but if the wave is already broken, then being at the top is actually better. Because you, you sometimes you can get blown up instead of down. And then you're, that's a little bit better. Gotcha. So, um, and you don't have to, you get another second or two to breathe, you know? Um, so usually if, if it's white water that I'm taking on the head, I'll kind of just like take a deep breath and just like do a pencil dive kind of, you know, like push your arms up and push your feet down just a little bit so that it doesn't, there's nothing that lands directly on your head. But, uh, yeah, so it, it totally depends on the situation. Yeah. But you can swim through some gnarly spots um, and make it out. Sometimes that's not good, though, because the next one's bigger and you're in an even worse spot. <laughs> 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 Just so excited that you made it through and then you realize that you're in such a worse spot than you were in before. You know, it's, it's not really like a big wave spot or a big wave day, but... I had the situation in, um, in in Costa Rica. There's a spot called the Island, um, which is in Uradura Bay, and I was out there for probably the biggest swell uh, that I was in Costa Rica for. Um, it, it was a re- it was like seven feet at twenty seconds or twenty two seconds, something like that. It was huge for Costa Rica, not not like Mavericks huge. And we were all sitting out at the at the point, and um, huge cleanup set comes through. And everyone's scraping for the for the horizon, and it was like this, like trickling down effect of maybe fifteen people started to paddle out, and then it got down to the point where it was just me and another guy making it under these waves, and we finally got cleaned up, and you know it was pretty big. I mean, I don't know how big it was, maybe fifteen foot faces, maybe a little bit bigger than that, but it was pretty heavy. Um, definitely not what you surf every day in Costa Rica, and so me and this guy are swimming through these waves. And we come up after the first one, uh, after we had really gotten cleaned up. I mean, it was a pretty good hold down. And he starts praying in Spanish, like at the top of his lungs, like in between the sets. <laughs> it was, I mean, if it wasn't already kind of like a weird situation, kind of a little bit unnerved, you know, he's like, like praying, praying in between the sets, like out loud, really loud. It added this whole oh, like no. fear factor to the whole thing. Um I ended up breaking breaking my leash and having this like half an hour swim. My board, the set was so big, my board got washed like like ten feet up onto the rocks and didn't even have a ding on it. Like half an hour later, I had to get through the shore break on rocks that was like I don't know ten ten foot faces. That was the scariest part. I wasn't that scared out there. Oh yeah, but um, that's terrible. Yeah, it was it was a gnarly a gnarly day. I don't think I'd even caught a wave at that point yet. It was just like straight into that. Um, <laughs> But then I got the best barrel I've ever gotten in my life. life. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Um, all right, man. This is uh, this has been a rad show. Uh, what do you want to leave us with? Plug your plug your sponsors. Where can everybody find you on Instagram? Uh, any any oh, closing sure. notes? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, I'm uh, underscore Conroy. C O N R O Y. Yep. C O N R O Y. Yeah. Um, I'm sponsored by Monera Waterman and F1 Foil. Um, they're not quite as popular as the other foils, but um, they're the best ones that I've ridden. And uh, I, I think, have you ridden any of them? Yeah, I've ridden them. Yeah, Chase uh, Kosterlitz, who who runs the camp down in Costa Rica with me, he's sponsored by F1 as well. 
Uh, and so I've read, oh, and Billy came down last year and, and surfed with us. Uh, actually, he was yeah, the first guy right. that I saw. I saw foil at a high level, um, and I got to ride uh, awesome. fourteen hundred. Billy's such a great guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see he's with uh, Eric Foil right now in Texas foiling, which is cool. Yeah, that's probably a blast. Um, but, uh, yeah, and my last sponsor is Burdell Surf Shop in Santa Cruz. It's the best surf shop in Santa Cruz. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that if you are on the fence about foiling, you should reach out to Foil the World or Eric or somebody like that and just ask a couple questions and give it a shot. I'd wear a helmet and a life vest just for padding, just to get it started. And if you're a surfer going into it, forget everything you've ever learned about surfing. It's a totally new sport. Yep. And um, and be patient. And then, like, you won't want to do anything else ever again. <laughs> yeah. I 100% agree with everything you said there. Uh, if you are a surfer, I think the, the key is to get behind a boat because you'll default to your, to your habits and that's going to be all wrong and your likelihood of getting hurt. I, that's what happened to me, man. I took a foil to the helmet, the, the corner of the wing smashed me right in the helmet um, right away when I started learning because um, I did the wrong thing and went to go hit the lip. I had just learned how to fly and I was like going down the line. I was like, oh, I hit this lip and the thing just shot at my face. Um, yeah, it did. Thank, thank God for a helmet. So that's all really yeah, good Yeah, I've watched so many really good, really, really good surfers do such dumb stuff on the foils, you know, including myself. But, uh, <laughs> Awesome. Actually, I've got a um, good friend. He's got a place right out there by by Pleasure Point, and I've hung out um, at that house uh, in that surf that spot a bunch. So may- maybe I'll hit you up if we get out there. That would be insane. Yeah, man. I'll tell you where to go on the foil spots because there's not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. All right, Tyler, dude. Thank you very much for for doing the show. I think it was a one that inspired me. Like. I think it was a really good one, especially on the, like, obvious, all of it, but the flow stuff was really key. Loved it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love listening to your podcast and uh, can't wait to hear who you have. Oh, that's another thing. I think you should have Jimmy Reha on here. Will you send me an intro? I don't, I don't know who he is off, off, uh, yeah. off the cuff. He's a downhill skater. He's gnarly. He's a Sector 9 sponsored downhill guy, and he's a foil addict. Oh, that sounds insane. Yeah, absolutely. Will you send so me an, an he's intro? He's a flow dude. He's a foil dude. I'll link you guys up on Instagram. And I think it'd be kind of fun to tag people, right? So I tagged Jimmy. 
<laughs> That's a great way to do this show. Yeah, let's just work through it that way. Let's see if this works out. Because <laughs> I'm sure Jimmy knows another guy that's a flow junkie that uh, that is a foil addict as well. So that's <laughs> that's awesome. I love it, man. All right, Tyler, dude, yeah, thanks so a lot. I'll send you contact. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, man. I uh, this is awesome. Thanks. <laughs>